Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're continuing um, our New Testament overview. We've completed almost all of the letters of Paul. Uh, we've gotten through all the letters to different churches and one of the personal letters, Philemon, we covered last week. But now we're going to be looking at three letters that Paul writes to some of his companions in preaching and teaching, to Timothy and Titus. We're going to be looking today at his letter to Titus. We're covering this slightly out of order because of kind of the background of some of these letters. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But um, these are really interesting letters uh, that kind of go together. They're placed next to each other. At the uh, toward the end of Paul's uh, letters, um, and it is interesting to see how uh, just in the New Testament, the letters from Paul to churches are all grouped together, and then the letters from Paul to individuals are kind of grouped together. First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon are all uh, paired together, and so we'll look uh, today at Paul's letter to Titus. Yeah, and this is a, a fun kind of thing to do because when you look at the letters to the churches you you get to get a look into what the church is dealing with what the different individuals in the church need to work on but when you get into these letters to Timothy and Titus you're seeing it from a different perspective as these men are the evangelists preachers teachers in those congregations that are on a routine basis leading and guiding the flock and so you get to kind of see Paul's work as a as a preacher um, outlined in some of these letters and the things that he tells these young men to remind these people of as they preach and teach among the, the brethren. Mm-hmm. The other interesting thing about these letters is that with almost all of the other letters in the New Testament, we've tried to fit them into the book of Acts at some point. And it's possible that these letters were written at some point during Paul's imprisonment uh, because the book of Acts ends with Paul in prison. We talked about the prison letters, uh, you know, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. But uh, what's kind of challenging about, especially First and Second Timothy and Titus, is that there's some things that Paul mentions to them that don't seem to fit into the book of Acts. Now, it's, again, the way that Luke wrote the book of Acts, it's entirely possible <laughs> that there's just a lot of other stuff that happened that, he didn't choose to record, and that's fine. But it's also interesting that there's a possibility that these letters were written after the events recorded in the book of Acts. Yeah, so Acts ends with Paul being in prison in Rome and kind of being like on a house arrest of sorts where people can kind of come and go and visit him. And what we read about in Philippians 1, if that is in fact when he is imprisoned and when he's writing is in at the end of the book of Acts, one of the things that is noteworthy about Philippians is Paul seems to anticipate not dying. And in fact, not only not dying, but getting out of prison. Mm-hmm. He doesn't anticipate this to be the very end. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. And you compare that to 2 Timothy chapter 4 where he says... Uh, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have yeah. fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. He seems very convinced that he's going to die in, when he's in prison in Second Timothy. So this has led some people to speculate that 
perhaps Paul was in prison in Rome at the end of the book of Acts, but at some point he was released from prison after the events of the book of Acts, and there was some work that he did, you might call it a fourth journey of sorts. We don't know all the details of it, but if you kind of piece together some of the details from First and Second Timothy and Titus, you can get some idea of what might have happened in between imprisonments. But then by the time you write 2 Timothy, he is in prison in Rome again, and then he's executed in Rome um, after writing 2 Timothy. Um, So again, we don't want to delve too deep into that, but that does seem to fit with some of the events mentioned in these letters, and as well as things that are not mentioned in the book of Acts. But uh, regardless of when it was written, it's also interesting to see where we see Titus in the New Testament, because we see a lot more of Timothy than we do of Titus. For sure. And so Titus, the way that Paul addresses him, this is in Titus 1 verse 4, to Titus, my true child and a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So he's described as Paul's true child in a common faith. And so from the beginning, even in this small letter, we see that there's a close relationship that Paul has with Titus and we see that in some of the other letters that are written. And uh, and again, actually not in the book of Acts. They're actually in some of the other epistles where Titus is referred to. Um, and in Galatians 2, there's actually an interesting point Paul is making about Titus, uh, who was not circumcised. Uh, he didn't emphasize ne- him needing to be circumcised because he was a Greek. He was not a Jew. He wasn't a half-Jew like Timothy was, and that was the reason why Timothy was circumcised. But at no point did Paul impress upon Titus that he needed to be circumcised because he was simply a Greek. And so he's brought up in Galatians 2 uh, in that way. Mm-hmm. But in the letters to the Corinthians, specifically 2 Corinthians, uh, we get a little bit more information on what Paul's working relationship with Titus was. Yeah, and it's really cool to see Titus mentioned there because we learn a little bit about his character and that he was a very hard worker. I mean, we you know have talked about the letters to the Corinthian Christians, and it was a tough church to work with. Um, They did repent, which is encouraging, but man, there was a lot of issues going on, and Titus is the one that Paul had sent ahead of him when he writes 2 Corinthians, and he's been waiting for a report from Titus, and it's after getting, thankfully, a good report from Titus that he writes 2 Corinthians. But as he's talking about uh, Titus in those letters, it's just amazing to see how much love that Titus had for those brethren, even though it's a very challenging uh, church to work with. Um, in verse uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 13, he says, Therefore we're comforted, and besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Um, and he says, Whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved to be true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. So it's amazing to see the good relationship that Titus was able to have with the church at Corinth, and in part because he loved them so much. So we just learned that this is a heartfelt hard-working young man. We don't know how old Titus was. We assume he would be younger, as Paul refers to him as his son in the faith. But um, really cool to think about some of the hard work that he did. We'll, we'll find out in this letter, as we'll read in a moment, that 
Paul left Titus on Crete, mm-hmm. this island south of Greece, that was a hard place to work. Yeah. Uh, uh, like Corinth is not renowned, even among non-Christians, uh, not renowned for upstanding people. And so he works in hard places. He works in Corinth, he works on Crete, and uh, there's a, just a small note about him at the end of Second Timothy, where he's gone off to Dalmatia. We don't know a lot about the work that he did there, but that was probably a later thing that he did after his work on Crete. So just interesting to piece together what we know about the person, Titus, uh, from the times he's mentioned in the in the letters in the New Testament. Yeah, and so Titus is a short little letter. Uh, it's only three chapters as, you know, we've made those chapter divisions. Um, Paul would have just written this straight and t- Titus would have ran, uh, read it straight. But there's a really unique amount of things that Paul has to say in this little letter. A lot of little things that he wants to remind Titus of to tell the brethren of and maybe some new things Titus uh, didn't know about. But uh, this letter starts off in the first four verses with an introduction, which are very uh, Paulish, as he is talking about being a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, and the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. Um, and so Paul starts this quite letter a, quite off. Quite a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, it is. And really, when you boil it down, at least the way I look at it, is Paul starts off with being impressed at what God has done. Um, and specifically the work that Paul has gotten to do, he's impressed with. And that really bleeds into the work that Titus gets to do as well, as he is an evangelist in Crete. Mm-hmm. And so Paul mentions in verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So again, this raises questions of Paul apparently had planted these churches. Maybe there had been people from Acts 2, because Crete is one of the places mentioned. Yes, Cretans uh, were one of the 16 different nations that were represented or peoples that were represented on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. Okay, cool. So there could have been some Christians come back to Crete and plant some churches. But Paul left Timothy there, so Paul had at some point visited the island of Crete. That's not recorded in Acts. Again, this is one reason people think that some of this may have happened after the book of Acts. Um, But Paul left Titus there, kind of like as we'll read in 1 Timothy next week, he will leave Timothy in Ephesus to take care of things after he leaves. But Titus is left on this island of Crete, and in just a minute, <laughs> down in um, verse 12, uh, he'll say, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. <laughs> Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. And so it's just interesting that he quotes here from Someone from Crete that they would have known this quote. Uh, it's possible that this was an ancient an ancient quote from the sixth century BC from a guy named Epimenides of Crete, who was a philosopher. Uh, we'll, we'll dig into all that, but this may be kind of like Paul quoting some of the uh, poets or uh, on Mars Hill and in Acts seventeen. Yeah, exactly. Um, but all this to say, Crete was not an easy place to live. Right. Uh, not renowned for upstanding people. And that's where Titus has to go and work. Yes. And so there's also a need for this congregation to have shepherds or elders to oversee them and to look out for them. 
And that's exactly what this uh, rest of chapter 1 is about. And it's really interesting, Stephen read verse 5 there. My translation says, I, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. There was something lacking in this congregation. They did not have these overseers, these leaders. Um, we've talked some about those in previous episodes of this podcast. I'm specifically thinking about when we went through the book of Acts um, in season 2. Uh, where Paul will go through the churches after that first preaching trip and establish elders. But you get a look into what those elders were doing when he says goodbye to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. And so now Paul's encouraging Titus to appoint similar men or men with these same qualities to oversee or to shepherd the churches in Crete. And it's also noteworthy that it says, appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And so it looks like there were multiple churches across the island of Crete, which uh, if you ever look at Crete on a map, you can still do that today. It was a rather large island, so likely a lot of different congregations there. And each of these churches had men that could serve in this capacity to oversee the brethren. But these men are not just arrogant uh, you know, rulers but by reading the kind of qualities these men have, uh, not self-willed, God's steward, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, you come to understand that these are good, humble men that you would want to be your leaders. These aren't men who just want to be a leader uh, for the sake of having the title but they will actually want to be a servant. Um, and so that's the kind of person that needs to step into this role. And you see the, the need for local leadership here. I think this is really interesting that he tells him to appoint elders in every town as Paul directed him to. And in the New Testament, there's this emphasis on local leadership. There's not a reporting up a big pyramid of kind of a hierarchy of things, but no, like the shepherds or elders or overseers are over each local congregation. And this is one of the places that we see that in the New Testament. And um, so as Chase mentioned, these men have good character. They're above reproach fundamentally. And it's interesting to look at the list of qualities that Paul describes here and compare it. There's another list over in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll talk about that next week. But here in Titus, this section on the character of the men gives way into a section on the need for men like this. In verse 9, he rounds out the way that these men need to be. He says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And then goes straight into verse 10, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And he'll go on to talk about these false teachers in the rest of the chapter. But it's interesting that, you know, false teaching is a real theme as we've seen in the letters of Paul to churches, but it's going to be particularly a theme in Paul's letters to these young evangelists, that they need to be on guard for people who are upsetting the faith of others, who are teaching what's wrong for selfish gain. And the shepherds or elders are also to be on the defense, able to refute these people, able to silence them so that the sound teaching can be maintained. Um, 
that really is a, a powerful theme in the New Testament, is that there is a teaching that Jesus left behind through his apostles. And there's always attempts to corrupt that teaching. And sound teaching is the idea of healthy teaching. It's whole. It's wholesome. And Timothy and Titus and shepherds and others are men who need to know the difference between healthy and unhealthy teaching and can refute unhealthy teaching and preserve and maintain healthy teaching. And so that's part of the purpose of this. Is you need shepherds. You need elders in every town who can help maintain the healthy teaching that makes for a healthy church. Yes. And so not only having uh, men who meet these qualities to serve as shepherds, that that's healthy for a local church. But what's also really healthy is just people being holy, people following the Lord the, the way that they ought to. And so chapter 2, Paul kind of turns his attention uh, off of these shepherds to the individual members. And specifically, he breaks them down in not only their gender, but their age as well, or age range is maybe a better way to, to think about that. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Um, and so Paul first addresses what the older men should look like. Not all of the older men in a congregation are necessarily going to meet some of those qualifications that we read about in chapter 1, um, but there is still an expectation for them to be good, godly, holy men who stand up for what's right and in love are able to uh, be sound in the faith and correct those who are in opposition. And so it's really cool for him to, to point out the older men. And Paul goes on to do this with the older women as well, what they should look like, what they should not look like. He encourages them to be able to encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children um, so that these young women can be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And so you get the older men, you get the older women, uh, you get the young women, and then obviously you get the young men with that as well who are encouraged to be sensible. Uh, if you've noticed, that's been a word that's come up in each party just about, that the older men, the older women, younger women, and young men are all called to be sensible, or the ESV says they're self-controlled. Um, that's an expectation for all of God's people across all ages and across all genders. Um, and so you see these uh, kind of individual notes here that Paul is encouraging Titus to remind these brethren of, um, kind of ending with the bond slaves or the, the servants in verse 9 and 10, and what they should look like. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of similar to some of the sections of Ephesians and Colossians, where Paul is talking about how households should function, husbands and wives, masters and servants, parents and children, older and younger men and women. Um, but I think it's really cool that this gives way into a section that gives them, again, the motivation for this, kind of like he gives, hey, you guys need elders. Here's what an elder should be like, and here's why you need them. One of the things that he talks about is the way that we live in our families, in our communities, reflects on the gospel. Uh, the, he says it early on here in verse 5 with the older women training the younger women, respect their husbands, uh, that the word of God may not be reviled. And at the end of verse 10, he talks to servants being submissive, working hard, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine 
of God our Savior. Part of the reason for Christian behavior is because it reflects on God. It reflects on the teaching that God has given. If we are doing well or doing poorly, we can reflect well or poorly on the teaching itself. And so Paul encourages each Christian, no matter what their station in life is, to live out the gospel. And I love this last part of chapter 2. Because, again, he zooms out and puts this in the context of what God has done for us. Verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And it's a great paragraph to kind of park here and just kind of meditate on each part of this. But he, he puts this into the context of look at what the grace of God has done. God has done this for us. Jesus gave himself for us. Not so that we would be like the rest of the Cretans and be like these evil beasts, lazy gluttons that we live in the midst of, but no, so that we would be zealous for good works. Uh, This is another kind of theme that comes up in the book of Titus, is the idea of good works. You see it uh, in Titus 1.16, the false teachers are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. You see it in chapter 2, verse 7, in his exhortation to Titus, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. You see it here in 2.14, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And then at the end of the letter in 3.14, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. That's also kind of a cool thing that you just see emphasized over and over again in this letter. Yes, and so it gives us this further motivation for obedience, letting the grace of God instruct us, as my translation says. And uh, being motivated by that grace is an exciting way to obey God. And so uh, it just reminds me of one of the lines in Amazing Grace, "'Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home." And I normally have thought about that end of the, that verse as, and grace will lead me home and, in terms of, you know, the, the grace of God leading me onward for the rest of my life. And amen, that's 100% true. But also as God's grace instructs us and we obey and respond to it, that is also leading us to our eternal home. So uh, we're, we should be thankful for grace in that way and really lean into that grace and let that motivate us to obey God. Mm-hmm. And this theme really spills right into chapter 3. And he touches on here submission to government as well. Again, that the way we act as citizens uh, reflects on the gospel as well. And he gives various examples of things to avoid. But he reminds the Christians there, or reminds Titus to remind them, um, that we all used to be foolish, disobedient, led astray. This reminds me of Ephesians 2, where it talks about how we used to be dead and then we're raised from the dead in Christ. Um, Same thing here, that we used to be disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. But then verse 4, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's so cool to see how 
Paul weaves the gospel message into these practical exhortations. Titus doesn't have kind of a two sections, like the first part is concepts, the second part is practical. It's all kind of woven together in this letter. And so he brings all this out to tell them, listen, live out what God has done for you. Live resurrected lives. If he has regenerated you or resurrected you is kind of the idea by the Holy Spirit, then live like that. Don't live like the culture around you. Uh, Live as people who've been brought from death to life. One of my favorite things uh, that he has consistently done so far, and we see it again in chapter 3, verse 8, he'll say, this is a trustworthy statement. We'll see more of those trustworthy statements when we go through 1 and 2 Timothy, by the way. But he said, concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. And so you have the admonition there for him to speak confidently about these things. Uh, Stephen pointed back out in in chapter 3, verse 1, remind them to be subject to rulers. Chapter 2, verse 15, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. You can hear the amount of confidence that Paul wants Titus to have when he lays down these things. And we need to understand that, that there are things in the Word of God that we can be confident about and that we can preach with a lot of uh, authority, not because it's our authority, but because it's the authority of Jesus Christ. And so I just like to point that out because we, I believe, live in such a wishy-washy generation. And unfortunately, I think that bleeds over into the church sometimes where, oh, well, can we really disagree about this? Or can, can we really be sure that that's what the New Testament is teaching? Well, I agree that there are some things that you know we, we need to study out and we might have minor disagreements on. But then there are things we can stand up for. <laughs> there are things we can stand on. And things that we can, like Paul says here, speak confidently about. And we need to know those things and be ready to talk about those things confidently. That's right. And it's interesting as he talks about the role of Titus having to stand up. He says in verse 9 of chapter 3, Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He's self-condemned. So he's going to kind of wrap up his exhortations to Titus by saying, watch out for false teachers uh, and and divisive people who are trying to divide brethren, trying to plant seeds of bitterness. He, He warns Titus against this, and we'll see similar warnings next time in Timothy. Yeah. Um, But it really... I remember studying through these letters recently, I guess a couple of years ago now, and being convicted, it just didn't even my own teaching, how important it is both to encourage people and give them grace, give them uh, encouragement and things that you know are pleasant to think about, but we also need warning. <laughs> we need, uh, you know, like you were mentioning just a minute ago, Chase, uh, kind of the, the tough love of the gospel as well that uh, there are things that must be refuted. There are things that must be stood up against. This is described as spiritual warfare, and that's not easy. And so we have to be able to, um, yes, comfort and encourage, but also confront and convict and be able to do both of those things. Mm -hmm. And so these letters to Timothy and Titus really give us a helpful, healthy balance of both. Yep, amen. And so you will see the personal notes given here toward the end of chapter 3, or at the very end of chapter 3. Paul says that he's actually going to send Artemis and Tychicus to him. 
And so I, I would imagine Titus would be excited to get that news, you know, that there are going to be some companions coming his way. But Paul also asked Titus to make every effort to come to him at Nicopolis, um, which from my understanding, just looking at a map, this would have been uh, to the southwest of Thessalonica, northwest of Corinth, and so in that kind of Macedonian region, it looks like. And so that's where Paul is, and he's asking Titus to come. And tells him to diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. There's good works again. Yeah, exactly. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Um, and so just these final personal notes with a hint of encouragement to engage in good deeds and to meet the pressing needs of brethren. Mm-hmm. And so the letter to Titus is this encouragement to good works. It's this encouragement for Titus to help the churches on this island to be what God wants them to be, even though they maybe not have a great reputation uh, for the character of the people there. The gospel can flourish even in a place like Crete. If the gospel can flourish in Crete and Corinth, it can flourish wherever we are. And that's helpful for us to remember sometimes we get discouraged about the direction of our culture today. Um, and that's not unwarranted, but we also need to remember that people need the gospel, and it can flourish even in places that are very corrupt. And so uh, while we don't want to see our culture go in a bad direction, uh, these letters are helpful to remind us of the power of the gospel to change the human heart. If people will submit and listen to King Jesus, uh, he has been changing wicked human hearts uh, since the beginning. And so it's a beautiful reminder. Amen. Well, Lord willing, next week we're going to get into the letter of First Timothy. Um, Paul writes two of them. We'll talk about the first one next week as Timothy is working in Ephesus. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast today. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review, which will help us reach more people. If you'd like to study the Bible with us, pick a book of the Bible, or if you have Bible questions, reach out to us, 717-585-0949, or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information about local studies and worship, check us out at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.